Church, indeed, we are here to invite the Lord to speak to us. And so we uh, long to hear from Him this morning. We hear from Him through His Word. We'll turn to Ephesians chapter 4 as we uh, return to that letter, that short letter that Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus in the first century. Uh, words from the Lord, words of life, words of instruction for us as His people uh, even today. Next week, we'll turn in another direction for uh, a few weeks together. We'll turn to a study of uh, the Psalms. Obviously, we won't cover all the Psalms as there are 150 of them, but for six weeks, we'll look together at select Psalms in the Scriptures. But church, I know this may surprise uh, some of you, but believe it or not, I have never been what they call a bodybuilder. Looks are deceiving, I know. But I have actually spent far more time outside of the weight room than in it. Uh, there was a short time in high school that I committed to uh, regularly lifting weights, probably in an effort to catch the attention of some potential dates. Uh, but you know, a couple years later, when my beautiful bride uh, first agreed to go out with me, bicep curls and bench presses were no longer on the regular weekly agenda. And so uh, I thought one day, you know, uh, if Ashley wasn't first drawn to me for uh, my ripped deltoids, among other things, why in the world would I start inflicting on them, uh, pain on them again uh, now? But truth be told, uh, bodybuilding has never really been my thing. But the scriptures tell us, I think, according to the scriptures, that bodybuilding must be my thing. And Christian, bodybuilding also must be your thing. Not the kind that's done in a weight room, but the kind that is done right here. As the church gathers week after week to worship God, to grow together in Christ, and then to go out into the world with the gospel of Christ. Through His Word, God calls us to be about building up the body, building up the church, the body of believers, building up the church under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. So today we return to Ephesians. We're going to look at Ephesians chapter 4 and invite the Spirit of God to lead us, to speak to us, to speak into our lives as His people who want to hear from Him and who long to follow and obey Him. As you're turning there, remember that we've spent several weeks recently in Ephesians chapter 2 looking at what it means to be saved by grace through faith. Saved by grace through faith. We can't earn forgiveness. We can't earn salvation. We can't earn eternal life. We don't deserve it. But God has freely offered it to us to be received by us through repentance and faith. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8, For it is by grace you have been saved. Through faith. And this is not from yourselves, Paul writes. It's the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. We're saved from sin and the penalty of sin, which chapter 2, verse 3 tells us is the wrath of God. It's a big deal. We're saved from this, the Scriptures teach, by God's grace. And we're saved from it the moment that we turn to Christ. We're saved because of what Jesus accomplished on the cross for us. Taking the punishment that we deserved and giving us in exchange His righteousness, His right standing before God. 
My friends, that's the gospel. That's the central message of the scriptures that we want to, to hear and to proclaim and to respond to week after week as we gather. But that is not the end of the story. But this salvation, this new status in Christ, this new position in Jesus must impact the way that we live. It must impact what we do and what we think and how we behave, how we talk. And so that's the subject that Paul turns to next. Orthodoxy, or right doctrine, right theology, right belief, the subject of chapters 1, 2, and 3, must affect orthopraxy, right practice, chapters 4, 5, and 6. So let's look at the scriptures together. Uh, let's ask God to guide us towards a biblical understanding, an appropriate understanding of bodybuilding or church growth. So let me invite you to join me standing for the reading of God's word. Ephesians chapter 4, I'll read verses 1 through 16. Hear the word of the Lord. Paul writes, as a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts To his people. What does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. Verse 11. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. And in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ, then we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Let's bow together. Lord, we thank you for your word. We thank you that you are a God who has spoken and you are a God who still speaks. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit. We pray that you would guide us now in rightly understanding the truths of your word and applying them to our lives as your people. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. The church may be seated. So according to the scriptures, uh, if, if you are saved, meaning you have received forgiveness of sins, for sins, through Jesus, meaning you have received uh, a restored relationship with God, uh, meaning that you have received new life, then you have received a new position, a new status, a new calling. According to the language of of Ephesians chapter 2, Christians become fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household. Church, let that sink in for just a, mo- uh, just a minute. Uh, if you are a believer, 
If you're a follower of Jesus, God says that you are a fellow citizen among his people and a member of his house, meaning you are part of his family, the family of God. You see, the saved are God's people. The moment we turn to Jesus Christ in faith, we are born again spiritually, receiving a new identity. But this isn't simply some badge that we possess and wear. It's not simply an identity card like your driver's license or your student ID or your health insurance card. No, this is a position that we have, that we have received to be lived out. Our position in Christ guides our practice in the church. According to the scriptures, according to Ephesians chapter 4, our position in Christ guides, it must guide, it ought to guide our practice in the church among God's people. Now friends, this is significant because uh, I don't think this is the way that we normally and naturally tend to think. We normally attribute our position to our practice. We first look at someone's practice. We say so-and-so does well in school. They, 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 uh, they, they do well on their tests, so they must be a good student. Or somebody practices medicine or practices law, so she must be a doctor or he must be a lawyer. But notice What comes first here? Paul says in verse 1, he says, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy, that's the practice, of the calling you have received, the position. The call is the call to follow Christ. We have a position. We have a status. As God's people to live up to, not a position or status that we've earned or accomplished, but one that we have received, passive. And then the text continues to describe what a life worthy of that calling looks like. So what does it look like? It says it looks like humility, gentleness, patience, love, unity, and peace. In other words, church, actions and attitudes that contribute to healthy and Christ-honoring relationships with one another, with other believers. Salvation cannot be earned by us, but it ought to be lived by us once we possess it. And all of that, the way that we relate to each other, the way that we relate to one another as believers in Jesus must flow must stem from our understanding of who God is. So here the, the repetitive emphasis on oneness in verses 4, 5, and 6. Paul says there's one body of believers, the church. This is one hope for eternity, one true faith in Jesus, one baptism through which we identify with new life in Christ. And all because there is one God who is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Knowing Him serves as the foundation, the basis from which we practice the faith with each other. So, let's submit to Him. Submit to God. Let's acknowledge who He is and let's submit to Him. Let's bow before Him, recognizing that He is in a category all by Himself. That there is none like him. He is God, the only God, the God who creates, the God who sustains, and the God who redeems. And though He has clearly revealed Himself to His creation, to His creatures, us, complete understanding of Him 
in all of his ways defies human logic. In other words, I don't completely understand him. And I know that you, perhaps most of you, maybe all of you are smarter than I am. But if you tell me that I fully understand God in all of his ways, then I'm going to call you on it because he is God. It's mysterious. Yes, he, he has made himself known, but he, in many ways, is beyond our comprehension. He is one God in three persons. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Acting in perfect unity and harmony within the Godhead. And just as He is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, just as He has this perfect relationship, this harmony, this love and submission and obedience within the Godhead, we Christians are called to mirror that relationship, being unified, working together to maintain peace with one another. So let's love one another. Let's submit to God and let's love one another. Ephesians chapter 4, verse 2, Be completely humble and gentle, be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. So because we have peace with God, a new position by God's grace, we also must strive to have peace with one another. Because God has loved us immeasurably and undeservingly through Christ, we strive to love one another even when we disappoint each other, despite our inadequacies, despite our failures. In other words, even when your Christian brother wrongs you or lets you down, you're called to love him like the father loves the son. So how are you? How am I loving fellow church folks? How are you serving other members of this body of believers I'm sure so many of you do this exceptionally. Really, so many of you do this well, particularly uh, when it comes to food. Amen? I mean, really, forget bodybuilding. Let's eat together, right? I've been on the receiving end of this, as so many of you have during difficult times or perhaps during exciting times in your life. And your brothers and sisters responded with food, sometimes with meal after meal. And I say, keep it up. It's a good thing. Bit of a side note. I remember, vividly remember saying to my wife, Ashley, when uh, baby Jones number two was born and many folks were bringing meals. And I'm talking good meals, good uh, food. I remember saying to something to to actually like this somewhat jokingly to her, you know, it's almost worth having another one of these things. I shouldn't say things. Children of God. Just for the food. And what do you know? Here we are. I'll tell you what I told the early service uh, crowd. I, it was worth it for, for three. I'm not sure that it's worth it uh, beyond that. At least not for us. So you folks that have four and five... Uh, or more, uh, may the Lord bless you. You are gifted. But how else, church, seriously, how else can we practice our position in Christ by loving the church? You know, when a faithful member of our Sunday school class begins to miss repeatedly, we pursue them, expressing our desire to grow in Christ alongside them once again. 
Or when we see an unfamiliar face in worship, we, we greet them and we welcome them to this place. When a church member suddenly hears the devastating news of sickness or the loss of a loved one, we stop what we're doing and we begin to pray earnestly for them. That the Lord would comfort them. When a brother in Christ disagrees with us over non-essential components of our faith, we thank God for the common ground of the gospel. When a sister has biblical convictions that lead her to rally behind a different political candidate than us, we don't criticize and we don't gossip because we know that our allegiance to Jesus and His church is greater than our allegiance to any one person or group here on this earth. Or when a fellow believer's marriage is falling apart and they call at midnight, we wake up and we listen to them and we ask God to intervene on their behalf. Friends, our position in Christ must guide our practice in the church, building up the body of believers. And like the rest of the Christian life, church, we're not left alone to do this. We're not left to uh, to do this in our own strength, in our own way. For God designs and equips the church for this kind of mutually beneficial growth together. The victorious Christ equips us with grace gifts to grow as His people. The victorious Christ equips us, the church, He equips the body of believers, He equips His people with grace gifts to grow as His people. Verse 7 of Ephesians chapter 4, But to each one of us, Grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. You see, God's grace not only saves us from the deserved judgment of sin. That's the message we heard loud and clear from chapter 2. By grace you have been saved. But His grace also equips us then to live as faithful followers of Him. I don't have time this morning to jump too deeply into verses 8 through 10 of this chapter, but... The focus there is on the victory and the power of the one who is giving the gifts to the church. In essence, I think Paul says Christ descended and ascended. He extended his reach to the whole universe. His sovereign power knows no end. He is the one who conquers all evil. And oh, by the way, he is also the very same one who designed and equipped the church with grace gifts to grow as his people. You see, Jesus has given his body. And his bride, everything she needs to build herself up and to grow into maturity in the faith, his spirit indwells, equips, and enables us to see the beauty of his bride. See the beauty of the bride of Christ. You know, in the very next chapter, in Ephesians chapter 5, Paul says, Husbands, you, you want an example to follow. You want a model of what faithfulness and love to your wife looks like, look to Jesus and His bride, who is the church. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 29, for Jesus cares for her. Jesus cares for us. And He cares for us by not only calling us to be His people, but by equipping us to grow as His people. One body, many parts, different personalities, different ages, different gifts, different passions, different skill sets, all Working together for growth and maturity. 
In church here, the scriptures only mention a few of these gifts. Other places in the New Testament, we see a longer list of uh, grace gifts or spiritual gifts that are given to the church for growth. But here, only a few of these are mentioned. And only ones that are directly tied to teaching God's word. Apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Why? Because apart from wisdom and guidance from his word, from him, from his word, our gifts are ineffective. So sure, you can exercise hospitality by greeting folks at the door with a smile. And thank the Lord, he has equipped many in this church to do just that. But if we don't have some message of life for folks once they come in, our our smiles are deceiving. You can volunteer in the preschool department to work in the, the worship care rotation. But if you have no interest in pointing children to the message of salvation in Jesus, then that's probably not the best place for you to serve. Or you can provide leadership to our building and grounds committee. But it needs to be informed by a biblical view of the church. It's because the teaching gifts are foundational in God's design for unity and growth in the church. Let's stress the centrality of his word. And all of you, let's stress the centrality of of the Word of God, and all we do as a body of believers, let's proclaim the Scriptures. Not in an arrogant, elitist, or simply intellectual way, but in a submissive way. In a reverent way, with a posture of humility and a desire to hear from and to respond with obedience to God. We stress the centrality of God's Word because we want to be about Him. We gather for Him. We exist for Him Pursuing the end that he has for us, which is growing in grace as his people, a people who are called by the Spirit and equipped through his word to serve the church in love. Let's serve the church. Let's serve the church in in love. Verse 11, so Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, the ministry of the word to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up so that we may serve one another in the faith. You know, this afternoon, most of us uh, will turn on NBC and we'll watch the Philadelphia Eagles take on the New England Patriots in Super Bowl uh, 52. Now, some of you already know uh, who you're going to cheer for. Some of you are still deciding. Uh, Some of you don't care at all. You simply are in it to watch the commercials and have an excuse to eat chips and dip. The truth is, Most of us living around here don't really care. Uh, Now, I know that's that's a stereotype. There are some who who deeply care about this particular game. But in our part of the country, this game is perhaps not as big as it is in, in some places. We're just in it for tradition and fun. Perhaps even feeling a tinge of guilt if we don't pause and watch this big game that takes place Once a year, we become bandwagon fans for one day. Because if we don't cheer for someone, we lose interest rather quickly. A friend, don't be a bandwagon believer. Don't be a bandwagon believer. Don't don't be a disciple from a distance. Don't perpetually put off church membership because you don't want a sense of of accountability and mutual responsibility and growth together. 
jump in, join Christ Church, join the mission, then roll your sleeves up and find a place to serve, building up the body of believers so that we might mutually benefit one another, growing in Christ together. I think the scriptures are clear on this. Here's the picture that God calls and equips us for unity in Christ and growth for his glory. He calls us by his grace. He calls us by his grace to follow him, to know him, to be reconciled to God the Father through faith in Jesus, to know that we have a status, a position that can never be taken from us, to know that we will spend eternity with him. He calls us to know him, but he also calls us to serve him and his people. And he equips us to do so. He calls and equips us by his grace for unity in the church, for unity as believers in Christ, and for growth as a body. God calls and equips. So church, let's glorify him. Let's glorify God by doing some body building together. Growing together as a body of believers, as those who've been called by God's grace to know and to follow him. Let's bow together. And Father, we do thank you that you are a God who calls and who equips. Lord, you call us convicting us of our sin by your spirit and inviting us to to turn to you in faith, to trust in you for salvation, inviting us to know that we are right with you, into an intimate relationship with you, to commune with you, to find joy and satisfaction in life with you. Father, we thank you for the call of salvation. Father, we thank you that you also call us to be part of a local body of believers, not simply to the church universal, but to be part of a local body serving together, growing together, going together with the gospel. And Father, today we thank you for this local body of believers and many others like it across this city and across the world who have gathered today to worship you together, to grow in Christ together, and then to go with the gospel. Father, I pray that you would continue to guide us, that we would be a people who are faithful who long to know you and to serve you and to build up the church for the glory of Jesus Christ. Lord, guide us now as we respond to you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.